My heart's already been ministered to, it's already been filled with truth, and that's what I want us to dive in today is truth, but we're happy to be back with you, and I'm excited to share with you uh, some things about mold. Woohoo! <laughs> some of you might not know what's happened to our family over the last year, but over the course of this, now it's going to be, we're hoping to get back in May. We left in May, and we've been on a health journey and on a mold removal journey, and so that's the little play on words that I'm using for the title of this message, and you, we may not even really touch the title until the very end, and maybe some tonight, but um, my father always challenged me, Paul, just preach what God's doing in your life right now. And so I've been learning a lot the past several months, sometimes through victory, where I can say, yes, this is good, and then other times through noticeable failure, stumbling, and uh, this is not the way I like to see myself. This is not who I am deep down. This is not what I want. But hopefully, as you walk with a heart that desires to please God and a willingness to submit to his plan, there's at least a maturing. I think as I look at our life, we have learned way more about things like a house and mold and all these different things than I ever wanted to know, right? But there's a growing up through this process, and there's a maturing I'm seeing in in myself and in my family. So I'm a teacher, and teachers are big on review, he said, Pastor Paul, I don't, I don't claim that title yet. I'm Teacher Paul. Uh, next year will be Principal Paul. But anybody remember? <laughs> That's right, amen. Anybody remember what I spoke on last time? It's only been six months, eight months, a year ago. I don't know. Review time. My wife knows, but she cheats. Uh, I brought two kings, two kings of Israel, and we were looking at the heart. There was David's heart, who was a heart after God, Right? Man after God's own heart. And then there was Saul. And when we looked at what they actually did, I hate David. I, I, I give grace to Saul. Right, like He just took some animals and a king. What's the big deal? Right? David stole a man's wife, killed the man. I mean, but God says, this heart is in rebellion and rejection against me. This heart is in repentance and it's broken, it's contrite. And so we looked at the idea that, that God is after the heart. Right? And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the broader narrative of where these two kings came from, and that's this nation of Israel that you all know about, but we're going to look at the nation of Israel's heart, particularly in, in the group of people in Moses' generation. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19, we're going to jump around in a few different passages. But as we go to Exodus chapter 19... Um, some questions I want us to kind of focus on, and really they're questions that you should if you're studying your Bible on your own, if you're listening to your pastor preach. Uh, these are just good questions to meditate on. One, what is this passage teaching me about God? What does God's word say about himself? And then, next, what does God's word teach about ourselves? What, what does it talk about me or, the, or humanity, which I am a part of? And then the big one then is to not leave it there, right? Because we can all be really good academics and say, this is, this is about God, this is about me, that's great. And we walk out the door. But that final question is, okay, based on what I just studied, based on what I just focused on and I meditated on about God and myself, okay, what do I need to do? Where do I need to change? How am I going to allow these two truths about myself and about God convict me and then align my heart David, Saul, align your heart with the character of God and who he is. 
So let's take a look at Exodus 19, and we're going to look at the heart of God's chosen people. If you are in Exodus 19, I'm going to jump, oh, you know what, I opened the wrong thing, I'm in the next passage, there we go. Exodus 19, I'm going to start in verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4, and just to give you a uh, quick up to speed what's going on here, uh, the children of Israel, if you look up a few verses, you can see where are they at. Mount Sinai, right? Okay, so we're, we're out of Egypt, we're at Mount Sinai, we're pitched in the wilderness, and verse 4, we, we see, follows the fact that Moses went up to God in verse 3, and he says, Ye have seen what I did, this is God speaking, unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, in verse 7, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And verse 8 is, is where we'll end for right now. And all the people answered together and said, Hey, all that the Lord hath spoken, what? See, all throughout Scripture you're going to find that when the people say they'll do something, and maybe you've experienced this in life, right? People don't always say what, they don't always do what they say they'll do, right? But all throughout Scripture, the, the great counterpart to that is that God always says and does what he says he'll do. Um, but, yeah, we will do it. We commit that everything that God says, we will do. <sighs> all right. Are, is their heart in the right place? Yeah, this is good. We're making commitments. There's, there's the covenant. Uh, but there's some things I want to see about God. The first thing that I want you to see about God is that God moves first towards broken man. Look at verse, verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. God is the one who initiates this one. God's the one who goes after his people. Uh, this was the continued promise back to Jacob. Remember you had Jacob? whose name was changed to Israel. He's the father of this whole nation. Jacob goes back to a, to a father named Isaac, and then Isaac back to a father named Abraham. And all the kids, if they were here, they'd start chanting the song, Father Abraham and many sons. Um, because this is the line, right? And so we're here with this nation of a million and a half people. And uh, when you think about Abraham, uh, Abraham... Was he like a really righteous guy following after Jesus when God came to him the first time? No, he, was, he grew up in the land of Ur, Ur, excuse me, and his father was an idol worshiper, and he worshiped idols with his dad. I mean, great. God did what? God initiated the contact. God pursued Abraham. You, you come along these treks of all these different people through this line, which eventually leads to our Savior, and each and every one of them is not just naturally going after God. Oftentimes, they're not even anywhere near God, and God goes and pursues them. It was God who remembered his promise and brings these people out of Egypt, and that's another, another point. God moves first towards broken man, and then God rescues his people, verse 4. He's on a mission to judge and rightfully punish evil that has plagued the earth. Yeah, he says, did you, know, did you see what I did to the Egyptians? It was I who did this. Simultaneously, though all are guilty, his grace offers the way of escape. The, the big question is, is, did the Israelites deserve the same punishment as the Egyptians? Yeah. Everybody's, everybody is under the wrath 
of God because of their sin. Were the Israelites in, in slavery and did they, did they never sin? No. And so God, he, he is judging and punishing the sin under this cursed world, but then he's also offering this grace. God came to Adam and Eve in, in the garden. He came to Noah. He came to Moses. God is in pursuit and the beautiful thing is that he is fixed in his glory, but he, in his, under his glory is this wonder of it all, which is he brings glory to himself in this thing called love, that he loves us, even though we totally don't deserve it, right? So what are, what are we learning about God? God moves towards broken man. God rescues his people, his chosen people. But then in verse 5, what else do we see? Now, therefore, God says, if ye will obey my voice... And if you'll keep my covenant, what will happen? You'll be a treasure, a unique, peculiar treasure unto me, and it will be above all people. All the earth is mine, but you, you will be a treasure. Ah, But God requires what? God requires obedience for this blessing. Obey my voice, follow my covenant, and the results are going to be wonderful. So, in verse 6, as we trek on through this passage, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. What's peculiar about priests? And if you remember, you remember the, maybe some of the younger kids, who was the first high priest? Do you remember? The first one to be able to walk into the Holy of Holies. The veil that was then torn, Jesus top to bottom. But before then, the tabernacle that they built, the first, it was Aaron, Moses' brother, right? He's the first high priest. He walks in. But what was he doing a few weeks before that? At the base of Mount Sinai. What? <laughs> what kind of heart is that? Um, yeah, so the, the, the man who is, who is spearheading worship of idols and saying, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt, he's the one, the first one that gets access to the Holy of Holies where God's presence is. Is God all mean and judgment or is he full of grace? <laughs> ah, full of grace, right? God requires obedience for blessing, and yet he is, he's full of grace. God makes what wars against his character holy. Now think of this, yeah, verse 6, kingdom of priests. You are going to be a holy nation. You can go back to the beginning to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and then into Moses, and the whole nation of Israel, and what we're going to look at today is over and over and over again, these people sin, they blow it, they screw up, their heart is far from God, and God makes a commitment here and says, if you follow me and you keep my covenant, oh, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to have access to God, which is something you don't, you don't do. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Thinking about the access to God, uh, what happened? And this is a, maybe I'm, I'm getting, hey, there it all is, guys. Oh, there you go. Wonderful. Here, now we're there. Uh, Access to God. If you think about people in Scripture who have had access to God, what happens to them most of the time? Yeah, uh, this is a terrifying thing. You are face down in the dirt, scared. Like we can, we, we can kind of, we, a lot of times we say, and, and I know that we live under the time of grace, and so there is this awesome and respect, and he is our Abba Father, and, and I've preached on that before, and so there, and there's, there's a different relationship there where I can walk into the throne room of God, and I don't have to be in fear. But the, but the untamed power and glory of God floors humanity. And if you look in verse 16 of the same passage, skip down there in chapter 19, what happens with the glory of God? Look at 19. 
And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, (laughs) and God answered him by a voice. Uh, That'd be pretty cool. But go up just a little bit. Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke, verse 18. I'm standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai. The Lord descends upon it, the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. We're working backwards. Go to 17. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood near, at the nether part of the mount. It was the third day. We know things about the third day. We've heard third day before. Verse 20, the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai and the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 21, go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them, what? They'll die. But the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. I love that line. Can you imagine the Lord breaking forth upon people? <laughs> it's like, don't cross that line, and if you do, you're dead. This has happened with the Ark of the Covenant, right? You touch it, and somebody did, and they dropped dead. This happens later with priests. This happens with judgment. I mean, God's glory and his holiness is so powerful that just a fraction of it, when Moses met with him, Moses comes back down, and what happens? You can't... We have to put a veil over you because we can't, we can't handle the brightness coming off your face. You're glowing. And that's a, that's a minuscule piece of God's glory shown to a man. The full thing would have killed him. Right? So God set on his holiness. This is the God we're dealing with. You don't just walk into the presence of God, and yet the man who is setting up idol worship gets to stroll into the Holy of Holies and be the first priest. God is gracious. So hopefully you've learned a few things about God. Now let's look at God's people. Uh, Exodus 19 at the end here, it says, we will do, right? They start off well. God, we're in this. We agree. How many of you have made a commitment to somebody? Yeah. And then how many of you didn't keep it? Got nodding heads. No, no, no bold hands, but I'm there, Right? Uh, made commitments, made promises, said yes, and then guess what? Life is busy, I'm not perfect, I'm not God, I, I forgot, or maybe I intentionally didn't even do it. Maybe you've had those moments where you're fully selfish and you just didn't do it. But they're committed at first. This is their heart. Let's go. You rescued us, we saw what you did, and we are, we are with you. And we see that, holy cow, the, the earth is quaking and that there, you came down in, in fire upon Mount Sinai and yes, we, this has got to be, I mean, we saw all the plagues too. We're, yes, we will do whatever you say. <sighs> Turn over to Numbers chapter 14. They leave Mount Sinai, and obviously we don't have time this morning to cover their whole story. But Numbers 14, in just a few chapters, and if you look at this trek, it's about a year or so long, they're supposed to be heading to the promised land, and what should have been maybe a few months to a year with the building of the tabernacle and all of the outline of the Levites and separating the tribes and the whole process that happened in the wilderness, they're supposed to enter this promised land, and they are committed. We will follow you, God. And in Numbers 14, we find out where, where their heart is now. Numbers chapter 14 We're going to look at verse 26 through 39. 
verse 26 through 39. It says in verse 26, The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. This is pretty cold in my human heart. That's, that's harsh. Your carcasses aren't going to make it out of here. <laughs> uh, and all that were numbered of you, according to the whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And we know that those two received a special blessing because they were the two, ten were bad and two were good. That's for the kids that aren't, some of them that are here. Yeah, the two were good, Joshua and Caleb. But your little ones, which ye, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, verse 32. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. 34. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed. And there, sh- and there they shall die. Do we have a shift from, yes, Lord, we are committed, we will follow you and do what, what you, what you, everything you've said, we will do. Not even weeks later, but in the end here, about a year later or so, um, when sin remains or goes unchecked, we're going to see with this generation of Moses there is a destruction that follows, and there is a missed out blessing, a loss of blessing, right? And, and the beauty of this New Testament time that we live in is that um, I am part of the family of God, and we're not going to miss out on the promised land. But I would challenge you, if you are a believer and you do live with unchecked sin, we've seen believers and non-believers alike, alike it will destroy your life. I've taught now for 10 years in a Christian school, and I deal with children every day, and these children are broken, not because of their sin, but because of the sin of their mom and dad. Unchecked sin, which led to the destruction of a marriage, destruction of relationships with children. Unchecked sin brings destruction, and... The Lord loves whom he chastens. He loves you, but, but there is missed blessings in your life. I'm not going to jump right into the application there, but take a look. There's definitely a shift, right, in their, in their uh, heart. But what's the main sin? Go back through that. What's the main sin up in verse 26 through 28 that God's pointing out? Just say it. Murmuring. Compl- we would say complaining, right? Complaining. I don't know if I have this up there. There you go. Oh, well, you know what? You know, I make these good, these little PowerPoints, but then I don't use them, so sorry about that. <laughs> but you have your Bibles open, so that's okay. Um, there we go. Oh, here we go. Uh, verse 9, you'll see some, some points. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. This is, this is the, um, if you go, sorry, go back to Numbers 14. The top part is murmuring. What were they murmuring and complaining about? There we go. They were murmuring and complaining about what happens earlier in the chapter. The spies go in, right? And they come back with this report. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation says, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this, will, this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. That's a reference to later. God says the ones you say will be prey, they're going to wander in the wilderness with you, and then they get to enter the land. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now, if you know anything about Egypt, and we, we're going through some of this in our, in our church, in our Sunday school, but Egypt is a picture of sin. Slavery is a picture of sin. And the nation of Israel here, we're with you, God. We'll follow you, God. But then when things get difficult, what do we, what do we constantly want? This is not the first time they've said this. They repeatedly, over and over, just say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to my, I am more comfortable in my sins. Egypt is the polytheistic mecca center. This is the ultimate Satan's success to raise up this, this whole nation that is anti the one true God and simply follows everything that God created or a variety of gods that they created and fashioned for themselves, so much so that Pharaoh says that he is a God, right? And so, so they, they, they say, let's go back to that place. This is the ultimate defiance. This is the, this is the uh, Hosea relationship with his bride who goes off a whoring and, and she continues to go there and he continually brings, them, brings her back and is gracious. Okay, but they're wanting to go back to this, this terrible place, the place that just a year ago was grabbing young little boys and now that I have two of them, this, this all becomes more horrific, grabbing little boys and slinging them into the Nile based on the God's commands, right? They open it up to all of Egypt to take every firstborn and, and toss them. Ugh. You want to talk about you wanting justice. You think of Ukraine. You think of other places. You, God, come and just fix all of this. And yet that's what they want to go back to. Yeah. 400 years in slavery, they cry. All right. Um, they become comfortable, and so do we at times, right? That's the, that's the sad reality. Everything's a picture. They were comfortable in Egypt, even though it was terrible. It, it, you're not thinking straight. And yet, too often, we become the challenge for myself, Paul. I become comfortable in my sin. I return to it. I go back to it. It was hard. These complaints, I, I look at the nation of Israel and sometimes we're hard on them, but I mean, legitimately, the complaints were, they were legitimate, excuse me. Uh, you think about not having water. How many of you are going to start complaining if you don't have water? Uh, boys and girls, every day, PB&J. Now, for some of you, you're like, yes, I didn't like the jelly. I was all peanut butter, but I could eat a peanut butter sandwich every day for lunch, nonstop. All junior high, high school, peanut butter sandwich, I'm good with that. But now you have it for breakfast, you have it for lunch, you have it for dinner. It's day one, then day two, day three, day four, day five, week, 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 week. Are you getting tired yet of manna? I would be getting tired of manna. So God gives you quail, okay, manna and quail. 
Yeah, but now I'm getting tired of man and quail. <laughs> I've had that for weeks. Uh, got anything else? Um, and so we, we, we do sympathize with their, their, their traveling. They're weary. They're, there's this weariness. And so we don't, we don't want to condemn them because we see a lot of ourselves in them, right? And <laughs> we are condemned. Uh, but they forgot, right? They forgot. What happened in Exodus chapter 14? We're in Numbers 14. But in Exodus chapter 14, when their backs were against the Red Sea and Pharaoh and all of his generals and chariots were rushing down upon them, and Moses, by God's instructions, he turns to the people and says in verse 13 and 14 of that chapter, The Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. They're a year later. They're about to enter the promised land. They've seen God fight for them over and over again. And they want to go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron, it breaks their heart. They fall on their faces before the assembly. Joshua and Caleb rent their or tear their clothes. So they say to all the congregation, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give, us, give it to us, this land that flows with milk and honey. And this was their challenge. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. <laughs> when you're challenged with truth and you are in the wrong state of heart, this was me right out of high school, uh, truth hits you, and it's like, my heart isn't for God. My heart is for myself. And, it, and it, it, what do they do? You either run from truth or you get angered by the truth because God's convicting, right? They pick up stones to stone these people who are speaking truth. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe? Ah, where's the root of their complaining? The root of their complaining is, un- is in unbelief. Right? It is a spirit of unbelief. For all the signs which I have showed among them. Ugh, a spirit of unbelief. They forget that Jesus, that God fought for them. They forget that, they forget that commitment they will do. And now they are going to lose blessing. They are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So what in the world does this have to do with mold? I, I stole this quote from our, youth pa- our, our family pastor uh, the other day. It said, often in a state of rebellion against God, one loses the benefit of spiritual mooring. That's the, that's the line that, that anchors you. Whereby wisdom and discernment become elusive. Proper decision-making is made extremely difficult. Worry and fear dominate one's thought patterns. And so, no, you are not facing Egyptian destruction. You are not facing uh, destruction by the giants in, in the promised land. You are not facing even what Ukrainians are going through. And yet, if you are sitting here today and you are characterized more by fear and worry, uh, maybe you're not properly discerning, discerning, discerning those things because you're not staying connected, right? Um, Go back to Egypt. We'll jump there. Going to this, this analogy, removing the mold, we're going to jump over now to Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, if you go there with me. And then we'll, we'll be wrapping things up in a minute. Um, my wife and I, like I said, we went on this mold journey, and we basically tore out one piece of, of the subfloor, one piece of the wall, and there was mold. 
And then we were like, well, we got to find out what's behind the next wall. Guess what? There was mold. We got all the walls down. Well, we should probably, if we're going to move back into this place, we need to know what's in the ceiling. There's more mold. Basically, everywhere we looked, there's mold. And, and if you know anything about mold, uh, my dad, he's of the good old generation, it's like, hey, throw some bleach on that, paint over it, cover it up, it's no big deal. It's, it's not what you do. <laughs> it's not what you do, Dad, because uh, it'll kill you. Um, but basically what happened is my wife was, was having a, a bunch of weird symptoms. Our son couldn't breathe through his nose because he grew up right next to a vent that was pumping mold into him for the first four years of his life. And um, so we've, she's been doing much better health-wise, and so are, so are both our boys. But the day we got the message back, you have four out of the five most toxic molds and some of them are at hundredfold levels that they should be at. You need to evacuate, basically. Guess what we did not do? We didn't walk through the door, sit down, turn on some TV. Let's cook dinner. <laughs> no, there was, a, was, was there a serious problem killing us and, and robbing us of our health? And it, yes, there was a serious problem. And so what we... The nation of Israel, they are so comfortable with this, this sinful Egypt that they're constantly wanting to go back in moments of hardship and weakness. And the parallel there is that how could I, how could I knowing that this mold is pumping into my son's lungs and into my lungs and it's de- destroying my wife's health, how could I just sit there candidly and say, well, hey, let's stay a few extra nights. We don't really want to leave. We don't want to, I mean... No, what did we do? We went on this year-long journey of eradicating this mold, getting rid of it, so that we could finally come home to the promised land. <laughs> Not really, but we, we, could, we could be home again, right? Where it was, it was clean, it was pure, it, it, there wasn't any, there's nothing that's going to harm us and, to, and destroy us, our physical health. In the, same, in the same way, when you look at the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel over, and we didn't look at it, I didn't put it up there, but over and over and over and over again, they do not learn to get rid of or attack their sin. The sin of complaining, rooted in unbelief. They murmur. They go on. They murmur. They go on. They murmur. They go on. Every time they get a little bit farther away from God's miraculous event, they begin to murmur. And then finally, God says, enough is enough. You're missing the blessing, and there's judgment. And so what God's been doing in my life is, okay, Paul, let's get, let's get real to it. Um, let's take mold and talk about sin. The sin that you're struggling with. And then the sin that you're struggling with. And then the sin that you're struggling with. And then the sin that... Maybe for some of you it's complaining. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's, ooh, a sharp tongue towards your wife or, or towards your husband. Maybe it's disrespect towards parents. You fill in the blank. What's, you, you know. You're sitting here analyzing the last week or two, and you know the sins that you've been struggling with. And my challenge for us this morning when we look at Ephesians 4 and 5 is... Are you willing, I mean, I about tore my entire house down to get rid of the stuff that was hurting us physically, but some of us are so unwilling to do, do this much when it comes to our spiritual health. You come to church, 
and then you go home and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You keep complaining, just like the nation of Israel. You keep filling the blank. Now, I know we, we, we will battle. There's, there is this final victory. Paul says, I, 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 it was the Apostle Paul, great Christian, right? Uh, I still do the things that I don't want to do. I still screw up. I still, there's, this, there's this old man in this nature that I fight against. And so we aren't going to be perfect. But the point is, are you maturing? Are you growing in that? Or are you just complacent and saying, well, the house is full of mold. Let's watch some TV. <laughs> ah. You're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll get there with you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul, man, if this, if this letter could have reached, <laughs> reached the Israelite people, and if they could, it would have actually obeyed, right? Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, I love. I've gone through it with my, my students, my team that I coach for the last several years. We dive into it. But look at chapter 5, and then we'll go back to chapter 4. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God. Were the Israelites following God? Yeah. He led them by fire and a a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire and cloud, right? As dear children. Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Huh. Kind of sounds like he'll make us into a treasure when we follow after him. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as, becoming, as becometh saints. I spoke on identity about saints once. It's a good message. Neither filthiness nor foolishness, taking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But ye, but be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye, verse 8, were sometimes darkness. But now what? Now, ye, now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you go on in the passage in 5 and 6, this is where he talks about relationships and marriages. He talks about children in in chapter 6 towards parents. Go back to chapter 4. Paul opens chapter 4 with the same terminology as we use in the Old Testament for slavery. Which again, we talk about being a picture of sin. In bondage to your sin, and then Paul flips it and says, I am in bondage I am a, verse 1 of chapter 4, I am a prisoner unto the Lord. (laughs) Paul, this Paul, the last week, your actions, your responses to circumstances, do they look like you were a prisoner to the Lord or a prisoner to Egypt? Were you a slave to your sin or were you a slave unto God? Yeah, convicting thought for me. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. I need more long suffering with my sons. Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, husbands, do you pursue that with your wife? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and faith of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But unto every one of us is given grace (laughs) according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he has ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that is ascended above, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And it goes on and talks about the different uh, gifts that he gave people. <sighs> Walk worthy. Are you a slave to the Lord in your practice or are you a slave to sin? The, ba- the, the big challenge for me is, am I walking as a children of light? Ephesians 5, verse 8. So, the people of Israel were God's chosen. We are God's chosen. Generation of Moses missed God's blessing. The beauty of where I'm at today is I know, and maybe you're sitting here, maybe you don't know Christ, but I know that I have an eternal promise that I will not miss out on the promised land. (laughs) I am not going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But in this journey to the promised land... Am I missing some blessings from God today because of unchecked sin, passivity, continual complaining of my circumstances? Israel was called to be holy, and we too are called to be holy and to walk worthy of that calling. For Israel, fellowship with God was available through repentance and faith, but what did they do when when truth hit them? They pick up a stone and they want to kill the men of God. What a heart rebellion. And then my question is, is through, we have repentance and faith when we, when we start our journey with Christ. But maybe if you're like me over the last several weeks, I, and as I prepared this message, I'm sitting there on my face, and I'm sitting there wondering at the wonder of it all, and I'm, and I'm crying out to God saying, Lord, forgive me. Whew. There's that crying thing. I want the heart of David. I don't want to just say, you know what, it's not a big deal. I don't want to just sit in a moldy home and say, hey, let's keep rolling spiritually. Wife, forgive me. Children, forgive me. God, forgive me for these these repeated sins. And I want victory in them. And I want to grow. And I don't want to keep making the same mistake over and over and again. I don't want to be in a pattern like Israel who's constantly just... Saying, oh, we fear God, we don't want your judgment. And then as soon as, they get, as soon as God's grace shows up, then they go right back to complaining. They go right back to the sin, the slavery of Egypt. So, are you in sweet fellowship with God right now? The only way that's possible is if you are repenting and living in faith and you're walking worthy. This was a good statement that, I, that challenged me. Protection from God's eternal judgment is sure. But crowns come through obedience, and the Lord still chastens his chosen. You can miss out on blessings in this life. You can fall under, under chastisement of a loving God. But it is by God's grace that we know our protection from eternal judgment is sure. So that old little song, right? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You can be in Ukraine under persecution. You can be in the U.S. with everything that you could 
want, possibly. Everything's just fine. But regardless, are you trusting and are you obeying? Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about strategic planning. <laughs> so maybe you, don't, you, don't, you have plans tonight, but tonight at 5 o'clock, um, we've, we've gone on this journey with Israel. We go and we touch on uh, Ephesians with walking worthy, unlike what the Israelites were doing. And uh, tonight, I kind of want to talk about what does that look like? What does it look like to walk worthy? And I found it interesting. I was talking to my wife the other day. We, we do this now because strategic planning is like a cool buzzword, right? We do this with churches. We do this with schools. We come up with a five-year strategic plan. And, and honestly, it, there, it's really good things. You look back over the five years and you see where you, you did reach your goals and where you didn't. And, you, and I'm, so I'm not saying that you have to do this, but what I have found is that nobody has this for their marriage. Right? <laughs> like, like, why is it? I mean, if it's great for all these organizations and all these institutions, and they can they can measure their success, and they can see where, and they can really grow in unity, and they can build this this beautiful thing around this unity, right? And yet, we don't have husbands grabbing their wives and saying and sitting down, and the two of them coming up with like, what are our spiritual goals as a couple? What are we really wanting to work towards? Where are where are we weak? Where, where do we want to get to in five years? And so um, I don't have all this laid out. I don't have all the answers. But the, the challenge tonight will be to come back and say, okay, if this morning you had any ounce of conviction that you are repeatedly doing X, Y, Z sin, you are more like the Israel, Israelites, at least that generation of Moses who is, well, and the next generation does the same thing. But um, you're, you're seeing yourself there. And so now, how do we turn that corner and actually, are there, is there anything in Scripture that points us to walking in a way that is going to be worthy of God's calling? And though we will never be perfect, can we grow up and mature, right? In the sins that we currently know we're struggling with. All of you, I would say, if you're 40 years old, you're 50 years old, you're 80 years old, you're 10 years old, if you look back over a 10-year period, you, hopefully you can say, I've grown up spiritually. And you might not be able to articulate all of those points, where you've seen great, great strides of growth. But there's probably some areas right now that you are still struggling with that you're saying, okay, in the next five years, I want to be here. And is that attainable? I tell you what, it's not attainable if you just walk back into the house and turn on the TV. What are the drastic measures that you're going to take in your life? If it's lust and the thing that, that is causing you to lust is sitting right here in your hand, what are you going to do that's drastic, Right? I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm preaching tonight's message. But there, there's, this, there's this drastic element of cutting off the hand. There's plucking out the eye, and we'll, we'll go there tonight. But hopefully you've been challenged this morning, and, and so I'll pray. But hopefully you've been challenged this morning. Don't be content with repeated sin. And always I put up there, if there's a way that I know that we're not far away, we're 30 minutes away, and if you need, I, I have a million things that I do, and I'm running around constantly, and my, I'm a tired mind, that's why I'm now rambling, um, but if I can help you in any way, I would love to. So there's contact information there, call, email, um, and I'd, I'd love to chat with you more. But let's go ahead and pray, and we'll end our service this morning. Father, thank you for your strength in my weakness. Uh, you take what is a rambling sinner's message and you, you use your word because <laughs> that's, that's what it's about. It's your word. It's your truth. And so when you have 
weak vessels who are willing to, to speak your truth, you take it and you use it in great ways. And so I thank you for whatever good came out of this message this morning, that you would, you would protect Beaverton Baptist Church and the members sitting here today from sin. That you would, if there's sin in this house, so to speak, if there's mold here, that each one would, would, would get rid of it that they would pursue holiness, that they would walk worthy, that they wouldn't be a complaining Israelite nation. I pray that in my life, in my, in my family's life, and I just ask that you would give us strength. Give us strength to do what is drastic if needed for us to grow closer to you. Help us to not be complacent in our faith, and we'll give you the glory for what you're doing in our hearts. We love you. We truly do. Help us to show that. Help us not to just walk out the door and keep going on the same path. Help us to change. We'll praise you for it. In your name I pray. Amen.